Today's Bible reading comes from Luke chapter 11, verse 37 to 44. When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not wash before the meal. Then the Lord said to him, Now then, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people! Did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But now as for what is inside you, be generous to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, because you are like unmarked graves, which people walk over without knowing it. Uh, welcome, I'll extend Caroline's welcome to you if you're newish or visiting. It's great to have you. Um, my name is Jerry. I'm one of the ministers here. And in our series, we've come to an encounter that the Pharisees have with Jesus. And in this part of Luke, the simmering tension and hostility between the Pharisees and Jesus uh, reaches a boiling point. So before we dive into the passage that was just read, let's just reorient ourselves in the context. God's people were waiting for their promised savior. Uh, Who did they look to for leadership? Well, there's no way they looked to their oppressors, the Roman Empire, Uh, they were pagans. They look to their local, social, and religious leaders, the Pharisees. They were absolute experts in the scriptures, and their take on how to interpret the Jewish law was followed. And they were the model of the faithful Jewish life. They were deeply, deeply respected. Um, The level of respect and honor they had is a bit hard for us to imagine today in a culture like ours. You know, we call our prime ministers Albo and Scomo, uh, but if you wanted to address the Pharisees, you would have to give them a formal salutation that fit uh, the honor that they carried. You felt like you couldn't easily talk to them. There were lots of social levels between you and a Pharisee. The Pharisees have heard all the buzz about this up-and-coming rabbi uh, who'd been causing quite the stir, and they'd all been listening to Jesus teaching the crowds. As the crowds had increased, Jesus had a rebuke. He had a rebuke for this wicked generation that tests God and whose hearts are full of darkness. And the Pharisees are standing there and they're probably nodding along. Because they were pious, they were pure, but this generation, they kept failing and they needed renewal and cleansing. And that's what they were about. That's the reason they thought that God hadn't yet sent the Messiah. When the Messiah did show up, he would be on their side, which was God's side, of course. He would applaud them. He might even thank them. And it's easy for us to roll our eyes a bit at the Pharisees. They seem so far removed from us. As we explore this passage, we've got to ask how they unwittingly ended up so far from God. They knew their scriptures, like many of us. 
They believed that they were sincerely following God, like many of us do. They were good people. How could it be that the saviour that they were waiting for was right in front of them and they didn't recognise him? How did they find themselves as the opponent of the Messiah, the ones that Jesus had the most critique for? It's possible to believe that God approves of you, but actually be far away from him. Let's pray as we open God's word together today. Father, please teach us through your word and open our eyes by your spirit to our blind spots. Help us to see the Lord Jesus more clearly today, we pray. Amen. So uh, the passage starts, when Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went and reclined at the table, but the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. Jesus accepts an invitation to a Pharisee's house after he'd been preaching through the crowds. And there are Pharisees and other Jewish law experts at this dinner party, so it's a very powerful table that he was joining. And before anyone discusses anything, Jesus decides to offend everyone with an act of protest. Some Jewish laws fall into an ethical category, like don't murder, and some fall into a ceremonial category, like washing before meals. Their purpose wasn't hygiene. They were daily symbols to remind God's people about who they were to be, set apart, clean, and pure. When they realized their uncleanness, they looked forward to the Messiah coming. And at this point in history, there was a lot of layers to the ceremonial law, thanks to the Pharisees. The Pharisees wanted to make sure in any given situation, any loophole, people knew what to do. So there was lots of specific additions to these ceremonial laws. But washing before meals, that was very basic. Any, any Jew who wasn't very pious would have done this. So Jesus is really making a statement with his actions. And he can tell that the host is shocked. Then the Lord said to him, Now then, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup of the, and dish, But inside you are full of greed and wickedness, you foolish people. Did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? It's not beating around the bush. What's the point of looking squeaky clean on the outside if your heart is full of greed and wickedness? The Pharisees thought themselves to be wise and learned and aligned with God. But Jesus calls them fools because they've failed to respond rightly to God. If they understood that God made everything, then they should know that God sees our inner thoughts and desires and motivations just as well as he sees our outside behavior. These words obviously very offensive to them. And I think sometimes we think Jesus loved everyone but the Pharisees because they were such hypocrites. But Jesus is showing great love to the Pharisees here. Uh, He loves them enough to eat with them. He loves them enough to tell them the truth, to call them to repent. Look at the next verse. But now as for what is inside you, be generous to the poor and everything will be clean for you. Jesus is opening the door for repentance again. He's identified the sinful makeup of their impure hearts And he calls them to let go of their pride. If they want both outside and inside to be clean, 
they have to repent of their greediness and give generously to the poor. The Pharisees seem like good people to everyone, including themselves, so they'd come to believe that God saw them that way too. But they were actually blinded by this pride. They were so blind that they didn't think that they were as sinful as they really were. Their saviour they'd been waiting for was sitting right in front of them, eating with them. But they don't recognise him. Maybe they wanted a Messiah who would save them from their circumstances, from the boot of the Roman occupation. Maybe they didn't really feel the need to be saved from their sin. They hear Jesus call them to repentance and their hearts just get harder and prouder. They're too proud to respond to the Saviour. And Jesus goes on to declare woes upon them, which are quite formal announcements of their coming destruction. What Jesus is calling out here is that though, that they, though they were experts in the law, they're also too proud to respond to scripture. Woe to you Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint and rue and all kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Woe to you Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces. The Pharisees were the scripture guys. They followed the ceremonial laws to the letter. They made sure everything that they ate was ritually clean, which is why they went as far as to sacrifice 10% tithe on everything, including their spices and herbs. And they were right to do this. Jesus doesn't undercut the value of this law. What Jesus has a problem with is that at the same time, they were neglecting the heart of God's commands. They had cherry-picked the scriptures and God's commands and they ignored the rest. In their pride, they didn't realize how far they were. They were failing to love God and their neighbor. Instead, they loved their social standing. They loved their important seats at the temple. They loved the authority that they had. They loved that people thought that they were close to God. They had built their lives on being publicly recognized and honored. And this would have just burned to hear Again, we see Jesus linking the inner desires as the source of our outward behavior. It's because the Pharisees were so enchanted on the inside by the way they felt by their social standing with all its money and its power. It's because of that that they had become blind to God and neighbor. They should have known better. They were entrusted with devoting themselves to learning and teaching scripture. In scripture, they and we learn that it's the repeated failure to love God and neighbor that most betrays God. It's at these points in history that God sends prophets to call God's people to repentance. It's when usually powerful uh, people carried on with things like temple worship but neglected justice. That's when he really had to intervene Listen to some of these excerpts from Isaiah 1. This could be commentary on the Pharisees. It could be commentary on the worst of the church today. This is what God says through Isaiah. 
Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I'm not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. What's the point of measuring spices for the temple tithe if you've walked past the widow begging for food outside the temple? What's the point of ticking Christian checkboxes, even teaching the Bible, if you are unconcerned about those who are suffering? The final woe Jesus declares directly to the Pharisees in this passage is extremely harsh, and it's harsh in the consistent way God holds leaders of his people uniquely responsible. In verse 44, he says, Woe to you, because you are like unmarked graves, which people walk over without knowing it. It's a tragic image. Someone walking and accidentally falling into a pit made for the dead. The dead, which for them were the most ceremonially unclean corpses. The Pharisees believed that they were securely on team God, the side of goodness and life and obedience. But Jesus says they found themselves on team destruction. Their graves, those who bring death upon themselves and those that they lead. Because those who follow the Pharisees were also in danger of failing to recognize and respond to the Messiah. That's why Jesus doesn't hold back his judgment here. This is the last time that the Pharisees and Jesus go back and forth in discussion as religious uh, leaders did back then. Luke tells us uh, that after this dinner party, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law begin to oppose him fiercely and to besiege him with questions, waiting to catch him in something he might say. And soon after, the Pharisees will play a key role in the unjust execution of Jesus. So how is it possible to believe that God approves of you, but to have fooled yourself and others? How is it possible to know the scriptures, to believe that you're sincerely following God, to feel like a good person, and still be far from God? because of human pride. Let's think about our pride as we apply this to our lives. Pride is blinding, dangerously so. Woe to us if our pride has prevented us from recognizing a need for Jesus to save us. If you have never humbled yourself before Jesus and asked him to save you, you're in danger. You're not in danger if you're actively exploring or wrestling with your faith. You're not in danger if you feel desperate and messy because you probably know how much you need help. You are in danger if you feel like you mostly have it together and Christian things are a good thing to do. You are in danger if you've been coming here to church for months and years 
and you still don't really get why Jesus had to die for your sins. You are in danger if you think life's just too busy right now to take it all seriously. Jesus is right in front of you, so hear this as his loving call. It doesn't matter how squeaky clean you seem on the outside, how many Christian checkboxes you tick, God sees everything. He sees your unclean heart. And when he says that every human heart is sinful and wicked and greedy, it's because he loves you enough to tell you the truth of your condition. A common resistance you can have is that you know, you've tried your best and you never intended to sin against God. He gets that. But your best can never make your heart clean. You need a savior. And every one of us knows that we unintentionally fail people all the time, so it makes complete sense that we can unintentionally fail to love God. Jesus absorbed all our unclean, sinful actions and thoughts and desires on the cross so that we could be clean. He took on the death that we were doomed for. He defeated death and he rose to life so that we could live. Please don't let your pride separate you another day from the love that he wants to shower you in. Just say sorry and ask Jesus to save you. When Jesus is our savior, we don't have to worry if God approves of us or if we're far away from him. When God considers your standing before him, he sees that Jesus has completely cleansed you from all impurity. He recognizes his spirit living in you and renewing you. If Jesus is your savior, your salvation is secure. Your pride is not a problem for your salvation, but your pride is still a problem. Our pride is a problem in responding to God's uh, commands, and it is so sneaky and deceptive. Uh, until a few years ago, I believe that God had sanctified me in a way that others really struggled with. <laughs> it's that in a heated conversation or a heated situation, even if it was upsetting or I got teary, uh, I never raised my voice and I usually stayed calm. You'll never catch me explode in an argument. And I had to bring this before God when I realized that it was making me very judgmental of others when they did. I felt so superior. And the more I examined this strength of mine, I uh, realized <laughs> it's been motivated by pride and not by love. I want others to think that I'm rational and reliable. And I want to be unaccusable of being reactive. Since understanding this, I also realized that I was so self-concerned in that situation of protecting my own reputation that I struggled to be present and tender in my speech. I may have been diplomatic, but I didn't think about what the other person needed and how I could really love them. I think this is an example of a common dynamic for us here at St. James. I think culturally, we want to be restrained and polite. So our goal in our behavior, sometimes the motivation has more to do with being unaccusable and protecting our reputation than it is about loving God with everything we have or loving our neighbor as ourselves. 
And this is something for each of us to reflect on this week and bring before God. He sees our inside motivations. And the final point of application is for us to consider Jesus' judgment about neglecting justice towards the vulnerable. The Bible consistently assumes that being neutral to injustice when you have the power to do something is evil. That if you fail to have mercy on the needy when you have the means to, you're being unjust. In Matthew 28, uh, sorry, Matthew 23, Jesus says that failing to care for the vulnerable widows is actively robbing them. Uh, I don't think we naturally think in this category of sin, and if it weren't for Jesus speaking, you'd be tempted to assume that this was some hyper-progressive agenda. If you're anything like me, I semi-regularly get stuck in this area. I have like a six-month cycle where I do some things, but then I get stuck. We have more awareness of injustices in the world than we ever did before. That can be paralyzing. Things seem so severe and terrible. There are wars raging on. How are we going to influence any of that? And what about the politics of it all? Shouldn't we come to very considered and nuanced Christian perspectives on things? Where do we begin? Recently, I heard uh, a wise person say that sometimes Christians spend more time critiquing injustice than doing anything about it. We spend more time critiquing injustice than doing anything about it. And as we read the scriptures, it seems that Jesus and the early church just saw injustice a bit more straightforward than we do. They saw the needs of those around them, especially the vulnerable, and they just met it. They just responded. And we can too. I think a place to begin is by giving generously to the vulnerable. It is unimaginable in the New Testament imagination of a Christian that a Christian would not give to the poor. It just doesn't make sense of who Jesus was and who his people should be. So if you're not giving to the vulnerable regularly with money or time, respond to Jesus and start today. You can sponsor a compassion child in 10 minutes for $50 a month, but just do something. And I think this is something we also want to grow in collectively as a church. Oh, we're so comfortable. Um, we're relatively so wealthy. And we want to think harder about how we can meet the needs of the vulnerable here around us locally. It's part of our 10-year vision for overflowing impact that our deepening recognition of God's generosity to us will overflow in sacrificial service of our community that we will demonstrate God's love in ways that address needs and make an impact for good in people's lives. It's gonna be a focus area for us this year. Uh, we wanna get going on a three-year goal in building community impact partnerships, to be involved in multiple programs or partnerships that engage St. James people in meeting needs in our local community. And what we really need to get momentum on this is more involvement from our regulars here. Some of you already have connections to initiatives here locally, and some of you can contribute time or experience by being on the team. So just talk to Kaz and explore that. We've been reminded today the danger of pride 
or how it can blind us. I was struck as we were singing earlier uh, that song, in the darkness we were waiting without hope, without light, till from heaven Jesus came running with mercy in his eyes. Jesus left the highest throne and humbled himself to save us. And in knowing him, our, our pride can't remain. Our pride is challenged again and again as we know Jesus more deeply and let him transform us by his spirit. He softens our hard hearts. Let's lean on him as we do this. Let's pray. Almighty God, in Jesus, you have saved us from the consequences of our pride. Thank you. In him, you have shown us what is good. Empower us by your spirit to love you and our neighbor. Grow us more and more to a community who act justly and love mercy and walk humbly with you, our God. All for the glory of the Lord Jesus. Amen.